Thank you so much for this opportunity for me to be with you again in this place for worship during this Easter season. And tonight we're considering one of those Easter texts and in pairing it with the Ezekiel text. So from John 11, I will begin at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, uh, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around and that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out with his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now the Valley of Dry Bones and the raising of Lazarus remain two of the most famous passages in all of the Bible. And yet both events appear only once. Though these miraculous events stun our scientific senses, remember that both the reconstituted and the revitalized bones and the raised Lazarus had to die again, uh, awaiting the resurrection of these mortal bodies. A little over 600 years separated Ezekiel from the raising of Lazarus. Ezekiel, a prophet and priest and son of Buzzy, was a prophet during that awful and humiliating national defeat, exile, dispersion, deportation to Babylon, some 500 miles east of Jerusalem. In such pain, national pain, the psalmist wrote, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing the praises of God in a foreign land? Yet in such moments of pain, 
loss and hopelessness, the scripture says, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest, in the land of the Chaldeans, and the Lord's hand was upon him there. While in Babylon, in the midst of total loss, Ezekiel wrote his long book of 48 chapters describing the Lord's judgment on Israel, the Lord's judgment on the surrounding nations, and the Lord's restoration of Israel. Yet those exiles did not have a corner on pain. For when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus wept. No pain, no loss, no seeming hopeless situation is too great for the Lord Jesus. He joins us and weeps with those who weep. Now, the similarity between Ezekiel's life situation and that of Lazarus' family was the feeling of abject, utter loss, hopelessness, meaninglessness. Both groups could say, we have been routed. We have no meaning in life. We have no hope for a future. And in those contexts, the Lord came to Ezekiel and gave him a shocking counterexample vision for the prophet's sense of loss and hopelessness. Rather than a perpetually decimated nation, Ezekiel, living in the midst of deadly, depressing, and demoralizing contexts, the Babylonian exile, in that situation, he was given by the Lord God a view of a restored nation properly serving the Lord God. And to Lazarus' family, the Lord gave an ultimate affirmation of his love for Lazarus by raising him back from the dead and back to his former relations. Yes, we serve a God who comes to our aid in the midst of loss, in the midst of pain, in the midst of dark nights. That's the one we serve. Bones. Undoubtedly, the dry bones image of Israel's failings illustrates one of the most depressing scenes in all of Scripture. Despite later Christian interpreters who consistently focus on the bones revitalization as an image of Christ's resurrection, the valley of dry bones portrays a disgusting, apocalyptic scene of death and destruction and decomposition of the nation Israel. Remember Ezekiel 37, verse 11, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Here, Ezekiel walked in that most lonesome of all valleys, among the ruins of a massive battle, wherein everyone was maimed, killed, and cut down. Possibly the morbid Ezekiel text provided background image 
for Tolkien's Middle-earth battles and, too realistically, it reappears in contemporary cultures of death. Consider the pain, suffering, and mortality of all the people who fell in Ezekiel's valley. They entered the valley, suffered a surprise attack, possibly, from unseen guerrillas above and around. Verse 2 is graphic, saying, He led me around among them. And Ezekiel used the repetitive phrase, Sabib, Sabib, to say around among the bones or among them in every direction, which conveys the idea that he couldn't escape the bones, regardless of which direction he turned. Sabib, Sabib. Now, after the slaughter of battle with no one left to bury the dead, with time functioning as a cruel open sarcophagus, these unseen, unburied bones glisten. In this valley of flashing mirrors, these bones reflect an intense light that signals death and destruction, now a shallow graveyard with every fallen person's 200-plus skeletal bones in open sight. In this macabre valley, the toe bone is unconnected with the foot bone. The foot bone is unconnected with the ankle bone. The ankle bone is unconnected with the leg bone. The leg bone is unconnected with the knee bone. And the knee bone is unconnected with the thigh bone. Disconnection, brokenness, fragmentation, destruction. These bones have no close relation to anything except loss, pain, and death. They revealed Israel in exile. No proper burial or funeral rites awaited these poor souls. No, they suffered a rout of body and soul without proper memorials. As Hamlet once remarked to a grave digger in a church graveyard, That skull had a tongue in it and could sing once, but no more. With the psalmist, the bones cry out, As with a sword in my bones, my enemies reproach me, and they say unto me, Where is your God? Is God really present in our suffering and loss? Can God help? Will God reconnect our frame? Looking into this valley, walking among the bones and breathing the dust of dry bones, one might say in anguish, wherever I go in this valley, you are not there, Lord. There's no skin, no flesh, no ligaments, no breath, no spirit, no hope no life, and unlike contemporary movies, these skulls and bones give voice and say, our hope is lost, we are completely cut off. Ezekiel's valley was just as sullen as the World War I killing field in western Belgium. There, in Flanders field, the poppies blow. We are the dead, 
Short days ago we lived, we felt dawn and saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Field. The scripture and our lives continually remind us of our temporary place in this world. Mortality is a striking and early theme in scripture. Remember what God said to Adam, remember you are dust and to dust you shall return. With scripture and life in this broken world, we continually observe and know that we cannot control all of our circumstances. The scripture says, even, that we do not know tomorrow what it will bring. We are a vapor that appears for a time, and then it vanishes. Yet, this demoralizing picture is not the final word. Welsh Christian minister R.S. Thomas correctly said of bones and bony battles, in the beginning was the word. What word? At the end is the dust. We know what dust. The dust that the bone comes to, that is the fallout from our pride. The dust on this book that out of breath with our hurry we dare not blow off in a cloud, lest out of that cloud should be resurrected the one spoken figure we have come to believe in. Stones. There's an odd connection between bones and stones. For centuries going back to the pyramids of Egypt and to Joshua and the stone heaps in the valley of Achor and over Absalom's body, putting stones over bones and graves became second nature. Stones over graves can be found throughout the world, especially in the Middle East. You can go see stone mounds of, in Roman times, Christian places throughout Europe, and tombstones throughout the world. Stones speak of mortality, and they mark important memories. In memory of Shakespeare, a Christian poet John Milton wrote, What needs my Shakespeare for his honored bones? the labor of an age in piled stones. Now, in the John text, did you notice that there were two sets of stones, both implying loss and death? First, there were the stones that some religious leaders wanted to heap upon Jesus' head and heart after they thought he had blasphemed God when he said, the Father and I are one based on natural human reaction of life preservation, the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Rabbi, do you not understand that those stones voice death for you? In Jerusalem, a stoning awaited Jesus. But since that failed, a cross and a burial stone briefly entombed him. Either way, those cold stones of opposition and death signaled Jesus' mortality. Similar to Jesus' burial stone, there was the stone that enclosed Lazarus in death. The stone at the front of Lazarus' burial cave kept the darkness inside 
and prevented light from gaining entrance. In John's gospel, light reveals those who understand and do the will of God. Darkness reveals those who do not. Since the stone separated Lazarus from the light, he literally and symbolically could not walk during the day and could not see the light of the world. The burial stone voiced temporary victory over Lazarus. Rocks and stone buried his bones and no one ever heard him. The symbolism of Lazarus' burial with the stone conveys a powerful reminder of Jesus' own struggle toward his cross. That long bow drawn against love. Soon Jesus too would experience the ultimate human limitation, death, and the burial stone would seal his bones with the apparent and naive voice of permanent loss. With this talk of dead men's bones and the death of death stones of evildoers, we may be ready to resign ourselves to that crypt-like moment in human history when the Son of God was executed. For this reason, many people reject and object to Christianity. They simply cannot resolve themselves to the fact that suffering, pain, and death are part of our limited experience and, and, and part of God's redemption. There is mystery here, and many want to fast forward beyond the Good Friday suffering by pressing skip this selection. Rather, we must walk through Death Valley's bones and Jerusalem's stones where we fear all evil. We shudder in fear with the bone's voice. Our hope is lost. We are completely cut off. We grumble under our breath. And with the psalmist, we cry unto the Lord, please hear our voice. With the disciples, we caution Jesus to save his life rather than to give his life. And then with Martha, we voice that old social constraint known as embarrassment. Lord, don't remove that stone. He's been dead four days, and by this time he stinks. One sad irony in John chapter 11 is that Martha and all of those assembled there voiced trust in the burial stone in death itself that protected them from Lazarus' moldering bones. Voices. In the midst of pain and loss, to God we voice the same questions and frustrations. Are you there? I can't hear you. But God has not stopped speaking to us. Though he may come to us as to the prophet of old in a very, very small voice, we are not alone in doubts 
and questions when we say, are you there? In our scripture texts, all of the human voices speak tentatively with desperation, limited common sense, no faith, embarrassment. But the voice of the miracle worker, the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus, issues forth as the giver of breath, life, and revitalization of that which was lost and broken. We are a faith people that believe in restoration. Those other voices, the psalmist, Ezekiel, the disciples, the Jewish leaders, Martha, all of those are now secondary. What does our Lord God say in this very still, small voice? First, the still, small voice voices a word of our mortality. From Jesus, that comes when he says, plainly, Lazarus is dead. If you want someone to speak honesty to you, read Jesus. Beethoven, who knew the pain of deafness, once said that memories of the dead require no hubbub. Yet sometimes we need reminders of that which we do not want to hear. Our Lord Jesus tells us our origin and our mortal destiny. Christianity confronts and affirms human limitation and death because Christ redeemed and transformed our losses, suffering, and death. It's because of him that we talk about it. With Martha, we may be skeptical, but Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and he confronts us authoritatively and voices to us, A very simple but difficult question. Do you believe this? Just as the Lord confronted Ezekiel and asked, Son of man, can these bones live? Second, the still small voice voices new breath and life from God to Ezekiel and from the Lord Jesus to Lazarus. God said that he would cause breath to enter the bones of Israel and that Israel would live. And Israel did live through the the difficulty of Babylon and again after the exile. Now this word spirit or breath appears in Genesis for the creator and the created, but it appears ten times in this text from Ezekiel that we're considering tonight. It is a powerful symbol of life. In John, our Lord Jesus then said, it is the spirit, the breath that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, breath, and life. Such are the wonderful words of breath, spirit, and life. Christ, the blessed one, gives them. With the psalmist, we hope in the Lord's word as we wait for the morning. The new morning brings new breath and new life. Third, the still small voice voices a transformative and definitive word of hope from the Lord Jesus. With hope 
and total trust in the power of God, Jesus voiced, I am the resurrection and the life. So, take away the stone. But more loudly, he rattled bones by saying, Lazarus, come out. Only someone entrusted to God's morning time could voice such hope and deliver the actual transformation. As people of faith, we should not grieve pain, suffering, loss, and death as others who have no hope. We are different. We have a hope that is grounded in one who says, Lazarus, come out. Jesus, the Son of God, is on our side. He redefines and he transforms our loss and our pain. So, roll away the stone and bless the bones. Lazarus, come out. Church, come out. Believer, come out. Jesus' clarion voice 2,000 years ago reverberates today as he gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. He makes all things new. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And as children of the day, walk in the day. Do not stumble, for you follow the light of the world. My Lord, what a morning. My Lord, what a morning. Oh, my Lord, what a morning, because there's a new day come about. Jesus did that. Let us pray. Our Father, we're grateful this evening for opportunity to gather freely, to read your word, to listen to your voice, and to commit ourselves to the newness that you've brought to our lives and to this community of faith. Grant that we might be diligent and responsible with what you have said to us through your word in Holy Scripture. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.